Paul mentioned before, we've been in a series uh, for the last pretty couple of months now, uh, where we are describing some great realities of the gospel, which is the way that we live in Christ and the way that he lives in us now. And we're going to be carrying on that second part of that theme today. Um, this whole series continues on. After this, we're going to talk about us living in the world. What's the implications of the gospel in us as it uh, relates to how we live in the world that we're currently in? Um, but when we were kind of getting started on this, in fact, at the very beginning of the year in January, uh, we met as a teaching team, just trying to seek the Lord, what, what do you want for this year? And uh, as we're praying, we're praying quite extensively. It was a really beautiful time. And I felt an impression, and I don't usually get that, but I got, felt quite a strong impression as we were praying. And it wasn't related to what anyone was praying. I just felt this impression uh, that we need to be talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a little left field. I prayed into it slightly. Not moments later, I heard uh, Helen uh, start praying almost exactly what was on my heart. Um, and it just kind of compelled me. I felt what the Holy Spirit really wanted to speak to this congregation was about the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we've got to today. This is the sermon. This is the, the power bit. Because we've been talking up to this point in some ways preparation. So we started the whole series off, as Paul mentioned, just with this idea of desire. Because right? so many of us are filled or satisfied with the things of this world. And while that's the case, if you don't really care for the things of God, you're not going to get them. Now, God's very nature is he answers the heart that cries and the heart that desires him. And while we're satisfied with other things, that's not going to happen. We have to just see those things that we currently feel ourselves with as just worthless. But then it enters his word, and his word has got amazing promises in it. His word has amazing truth. And he sends his son, the very embodiment of that word, and God says, what are you going to do with this, my son, Jesus Christ? And we've just been singing and talking about communion, that our response is to believe in him. And in believing in him, that is the partaking of him, of drinking his uh, blood, of eating his flesh. He was literally describing it as an act of belief. So we've been distilling this whole series down to kind of a simple formula, if you will. Formula's wrong, but a distillation, if you will. That we're going to hear the word of God, we're going to believe it, then we're going to do it, and then we're going to see it realised in our lives. And so today is my hope that we start to see that realisation. Jordan was last week just speaking about how so many of the things as we go through these passages that we're doing today, we've been reading through John 14, 3 to 18, and those passages talk a lot about our role in Christ, that we abide in him, we believe in him, and then it flips around frequently and says, these are the promises, these are the things that you were promised. You were promised to be fruitful. He's going to promise to answer our prayers, and we're now going to talk about one of these most amazing promises that is very mind-boggling, um, it has been resisted frequently, we'll be very frank about that, um, but they are here, so we're going to talk about them, and we're going to ask that God would manifest his power in this place. So we're going to stick, kick this whole thing off um, in John chapter 14. Now because it is such an important theme, we're not going to do this in just one week. Um, next week, Thomas, in fact, my brother, is going to be continuing on, um, and he's going to be taking... I guess just looking at testimonies and examples throughout church history of the realities of this, which I'm really looking forward to. But here I want to talk about the biblical centrality of this theme and the role and the importance and the reason for the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's start. Uh, please do open your Bibles because we're going to do a bit of an odyssey through John today. John chapter 14 and we're going to kick off with verse 8. Let's do that. When you've got that there, John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said to him, 
Philip said to Jesus. Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus has been just been talking about needing to know the Father. I'm like, well, show us. And he's about to give us the response. And I said, no, have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the very embodiment of God. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? There's a beautiful expression there because we've been talking a lot about us in Christ and him, Christ in us, right? And we just get a for taste of that here. This is actually earlier in those passages because we've been talking about John 15 earlier in this series. Here, Jesus is describing the same thing. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. There's a great emboldening from that because he's actually received something from God that he speaks. He had no hesitation in saying any of it. And then he says, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. John uses this expression works a couple of times. We're going to just dive into that very slightly as we kind of prelude into this, um, this message. What does he mean by works? Turn with me, if you will, back to John chapter 5. So a bit earlier, you can flick the pages a few, a few forward. I'll give you a quick moment. John chapter 5. And I'll just give you a quick summary of the first half of it because uh, there's a man at the pool of Bethesda. He is lame. Uh, there were miracles happening at this pool from time to time, but he didn't have anyone to take him down when these miracles were happening. Um, and so when Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be made well? He's like, well, yeah, but no one can take me down. Jesus had a very different idea of how the power of God was going to manifest in his life and literally just said, be healed. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And the guy walks. An amazing miracle. And it is interesting, the response to Jesus' miracle, because you will find this throughout history when God's working in power. Certain people won't believe it. Or they'll get angry because it's undeniably uh, such a miracle. And so the Jews actually took that miracle and said, well, they're going to find fault. What's the fault? What did he do that was naughty? Jesus did. He did it on the Sabbath day. And so they find excuse and reason to start accusing Jesus of wrongdoing, despite the manifest power of God that he just demonstrated. But Jesus doesn't hold back. And it, so we'll go to John chapter 5, verse 19. And he starts talking about how this has happened. And you'll notice some themes picked out of that passage I just read in John 14. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Well, we heard that before earlier in the series. Apart from him, you can do nothing. The Son can do nothing apart from the Father. He lives in the Father, the Father in him. The Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. We're getting a sense this is God's work that we're seeing manifested through Jesus. And then he comes out with a ripper. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. What works was he describing? The lame were walking. All right. And what is remarkable is that when he says greater works, you might hear that phrase. There's a lot of corollaries with what happens in John 14, 15. He starts talking, he uses this phrase, greater works. Now, Jesus is not a dealer in hyperbole. When he makes grand statements, he's not just being grandiose for the sake of sounding impressive to his audience. This is true. And anyone who knows anything about the ministry of Jesus will know that this is very true of him. This was just the beginning. 
the works that were manifest through him were huge. So greater works, we're talking about these particular signs that he was doing. Flip over the page now though, John chapter 7, might be two pages depending on your Bible structure. John chapter 7, and we see that at this point the persecution against Jesus has got really serious. He's manifesting his power, but he's actually had to retreat to Galilee. He didn't want to go to Judea because the Jews sought to kill him over essentially this, his message, and they just, they just didn't know what to do with him. But it's interesting here in this passage, in verse 3, um, his brothers, his actual family, his blood family on the earth, um, kind of were, I don't know what the right word is, but enticing him to come back to Judea. And they said, you depart from, from here and go to Judea, what they say in verse 3, that your disciples also may see the works that you were doing. What works were they describing again? God's power in miracles and signs and wonders were being manifest through Jesus Christ. And he, the fame of him had gone abroad, he were told in Mark. But here are his family. And do you think they're actually being genuine in here? You find out that they're actually goading him. Because they say in verse 4, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And it says, for even his brothers did not believe him. So again, we can see that works are pointing to these signs. They're saying, well, go show yourself to the world. Why are you hiding away? And it is, again, human nature doesn't change a lot. It doesn't matter what period of history you may be in, but when you hear of works and signs and wonders, when you're very embedded in the fleshly nature and in what we see with our eyes, We'll do anything to not believe, and we'll do anything to seize upon the wrong in those miracles and powers. We'll say, you did it on the Sabbath. Nah, you know. Well, now we say, well, you know, if you actually had that kind of power, you should just be waltzing around Judea um, and doing whatever you please and just show yourself to the world. There's this kind of expectation placed on him, rather than just allowing the fact that God had ordained that Jesus would do these miracles in this way. And his call is believe them. That's what he's saying. Believe the works for the sake of the works themselves. Flip over a page again, chapter 9 now. John chapter 9, verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. Again, the same idea. What was the work he was doing? He was literally performing a miracle. All right. It's the same Greek word through and through. It has more general meaning than the way we we're applying it in John, but John was using it to describe these particular miraculous points of God's power demonstrated through Jesus Christ. While we're there, I just find that interesting. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Who's the light of the world now? Us. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. He was the light of the world while I'm in the world. Just hold that thought. So we're going to flip back to John chapter 14 and just continue on from where Jesus left off because he made these very important statements about the Father's in me, I'm in the Father. And you guys already know later in, in, in John 15 he's going to talk about this same relationship we have with him. We abide in him, he abides in us. All right. So then it becomes very important, what does he say of us in verse 12? So John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. 
And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. You might be picked up, he did just say that. I'm the light of the world while I'm in the world. But I go to my Father, he's going to leave something, a deposit with his people. And this is what he's saying. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I will do, he will do also. And this is a phenomenal thing. And we've talked a bit about this. If we go through verse 13, we actually had a message by Jordan on this uh, a few weeks back. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. These are heady promises. Anything in my name. All right, now he does tell us some clues of the nature. It's not just a, an open checkbook as so far as that there's no requirements on our part. But he does promise to those who believe firstly here, and to those who are going to capture that same relationship he had with his father, that we are in him and he is in us. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Greater works than these we will do. So our basic assumption here is that Jesus has given this very strong expectation to the disciples he's talking to, you're going to do the same things I'm going to do. Has anyone got a clue whether that actually came to pass? Did those disciples realise this? Was it hyperbole? Was it reality? Well, it's no surprise as you start to read through Acts um, that you see some pretty amazing things start to happen upon these men who believe and upon whom the power of God is poured out. So, in fact, we start to use this word because we've talked about works in John and we can see that relates to power. I'm now kind of talking a little bit about the word power because that's the way it's being manifested. And, uh, in fact, in, at the end of Luke and in the beginning of Acts, the disciples are told very clearly, you're going to expect the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Power. Tarry until you endure with power from high, they're told. And what happens after that? If you've read Acts before, and I encourage you to read it over and over again, um, but it is the most amazing book where you just see God pour his spirit out and do the works of Jesus through his apostles. His disciples come apostles. And not just the immediate apostles, through all kinds. Um, it, we could just see immediately as the spirit's poured out and we see the gift of tongues unleashed on the church and these most amazing sermons um, and, and salvations en masse. Um, then not, not far after, um, Peter is walking, sees uh, the, the lame man and raises him up to the astonishment of all in Jerusalem at the time. They're arrested, but the people pray, say, Lord, just keep giving us boldness, keep giving these signs, and God shakes the place and continues to work mighty things in their midst. It says in verse, after that prayer, that with great power the apostles gave witness. After, later on in Acts, you'll find even more amazing things. You'll see um, Peter just walking by sick people when they are being healed. You'll see cloths that touch Paul going out and the very cloths themselves healing people. We're seeing greater works. And so I want to talk a little bit about how are these greater works happening. And you could t I trust you could tell from my own standing here is that I'm not seeing a limit on these things. Now, when Jesus made these promises, and indeed the entire John 14 through 18, we've been applying to ourselves. I'm not cutting bits out of it. And a lot of what I want to do in believing his word is say, Lord, you've said it. You're going to do it. And what was the very first line in that whole passage when John chapter 14, verse 12, where he said you're going to do greater works, he starts it with something. Who's going to do it? He who believes in me. And this is the nature. If you're going to see the works of God, you have to believe it. You have to have 
faith to believe it. Faith is integral to the whole thing and you cut that out, nothing's going to happen. I just was amazed just going through the role of faith in this. In fact, I mentioned before when Peter healed this lame man and he rose, you know, raised him up and all of Jerusalem is incredulous and he starts telling people how he was healed. In Acts chapter 3, you don't turn, I'll just I'll read it to you. Um, he says, in his name, or sorry, and his name, Jesus' name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. It was faith in his name that made this strong. We've told the same thing. He who believes in me, faith in me, will do greater works. No surprise, is it? If you flip over to Acts um, chapter 6, and I love this passage. I really am praying to be men like Stephen, a man like Stephen. Because in chapter 6 we're told about uh, the, the uh, apostles who are, find themselves overwhelmed with the workload, um, needing to commit themselves uh, to the ministry, uh, to full-time ministry, and needed men to help them in administering uh, particularly the finances. They said, find from among yourselves men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And the saying pleased the multitude, and they chose out men. But Stephen is earmarked for something special. It says of him, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, only a few verses later, in verse 8, we pick up the next stage of the story, because this this man's quite remarkable, full of of faith and the Spirit. In verse 8, we're told, and Stephen, full of faith and power, does anyone want to guess what happens when a man is full of faith, the spirit and power? Any guesses? <laughs> Amazing things start to happen. That verse 8 says, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And no surprise, he's doing signs and wonders. There, what happens? Human nature never changes. There arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, disputing with him, naturally. Right. We'll see this time and time again throughout history. But verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Such was the spirit of God upon this man, Stephen. One of my favourite um, passages, just to kind of give us a sense of what God has for us. James chapter 5, just turn there with me very briefly. Because in James chapter 5, he was talking about what to do with sick people in your midst. And he says it very clearly, the prayer of faith will save the sick. And he's even said the Lord will raise him up. The prayer of faith. Again, just notice this key word, faith, coming up. You don't find a lot happening in the Bible without that heavy in the mix. It's a heady substance. But then he goes on in verse 17, so James 5, 17. Um, he says, prayer avails a lot of things. And then he starts talking about this man, Elijah. But what does he say about him? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And so he's making a very clear point here. Because this, he, he describes what Elijah did. Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. Elijah influenced the weather. That is a sign and a wonder. And he's making the point very clearly here that this same man had the same very nature as us. And that point was reinforcing his point that the prayer of faith will raise the sick. We need to believe these things if we're going to see them come to fruition. 
but they're placed readily within our reach. What was it that was special about Elijah? Nothing. He was told he was a man with a like nature as ourselves. And so we start to see that faith becomes this key to unlocking what God has said. Because that is how everyone has done it, scripturally, through Acts, as I've just shown. Now, I can't go through faith. I could preach another sermon on that one. We may yet do. But um, let's just say, for, for my own part, it's been a huge journey for me over the last six months. It really kicked off at this teaching team I mentioned, where God's just been really moving uh, us and our family, reviving us. Um, and I've been growing steadily. And in fact, uh, yesterday, uh, it was just yesterday, we had a prayer meeting here in the morning. We had a great time. I went off to... Um, uh, soccer or uh, Benjamin's soccer game, a little eight-year-old soccer game, and we were there. And towards the end of it, uh, a lady had fallen down. Um, she was near the kind of one of the building blocks there, just outside. Um, and Benji had pointed her out. And as I'm walking back, I just felt the Holy Spirit go, "Go to her." I thought, "Okay, okay." So I, I wandered over, um, and she was laying flat on her back. Her son, she was an elderly lady, probably late 70s. Um, and a, a middle-aged son was there kind of just trying to help and they tried lifting her up and she was like, oh, I'm just feeling dizzy and faint and yeah, something's come over me. Um, so I just asked a couple of questions out of compassion and as I sat there, I just said, I just felt, I've got to, I'm going to pray for her. So I just said, uh, do you guys mind if I pray for this woman because I believe that Jesus can heal? Something, I don't know the exact verb, Tim, I'm very bad with remembering exact words, but something along those lines. I said, I believe God can heal, can I pray for them? Um, and one of them was like, oh, I'm not sure. But the son was like, yes, yes, pray. All right, so I prayed. I laid hands on her. Not 30 seconds after a very simple prayer I'd made, she was up and she was going, oh, I, feel, I feel better actually. And it all happened. And glory to God, because this is the kind of thing we're talking about. As God grows our faith, things will start to happen. Things literally happened for me yesterday morning. I must say I was feeling amazing coming prior to that thing because we just had an amazing time of prayer here and I've, I've been feeling the Holy Spirit upon me a lot more of late um, and it was quite effortless just going there. Um, if you'd asked me to do this six, 12 months ago, I would have A, freaked out, B, probably not prayed and if I did, probably nothing would have happened. All right? So I'm not kind of trying to put out things uh, that are out of our reach but I want to encourage that as the Holy Spirit moves us and as faith starts to become realised, God does things. He did something just yesterday for me that I was able to observe. So there's faith, but I want to move a little bit from that because there can be a sense of, okay, great, we've got these amazing promises of power to be manifested and by faith I could seize upon them. But there is a reason for this and I think it's important to spend this last little bit just describing why it is that we have power. Why do we care even at all? all right? do, is, is it just the, you know, the, the sauce on a pie which is kind of optional depending on who you are? Um, is there actually anything really key to having power demonstrated? And I believe it is absolutely the case, yes. Jesus, time and time again, pointed to those works of his as proof that he was the Son of God. In fact, in that verse we had just read in John 14, he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? And he said, Believe me for the sake of the works. These works prove that I am who I say I am. And this is the case all through the scripture. Um, and I could just read out a couple of things. You know, People were literally attacking Jesus because he was saying he's the son of God, these great things. And he would say, no, I have a greater witness than even John the Baptist for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works I do bear witness. These signs I'm doing bear witness that I am the son of God. And he said, the works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me later in John. And again later... But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe these works 
that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So then what happens when the apostles get this same power? The same thing starts to happen. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Immediately after. And you shall be witnesses to me. This is power to witness. I love that prayer in, in Acts um, 4.29. In fact, you can jump there very quickly. Acts chapter 4.29. Peter and some of the others had been beaten. They were being threatened by the Sanhedrin. You are not to preach this name of Jesus Christ. And they pray to the Lord with the believers after this event. And they say, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. They had a very clear idea of what their intention was. We're going to speak your word. But then what in verse 30? But he talks to him, By stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And how did God respond to that prayer? It says, when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And not many verses later, we've gotten with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord. So power has a purpose in witness. So we believe it in order to see it. We witness to the truth of God's word because that is where God wants to put his power behind. He witnesses his power for this same purpose. And it's very interesting when you look, you know, time and time against scripture, I've I've been seeing the Apostle Paul emphasise this several times as well. He didn't think it was just some little optional extra. When he talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, he was saying of great importance as he preaches the word again. In Romans 15, he was kind of boasting in a not boasting manner to make a point. Um, But in, in chapter 15, he said, Christ had accomplished much through me in word, as the preaching of the gospel, and in deed, in works. He said, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem, round about to Illyricum, I fully preached the gospel of Christ. He is not there just preaching. He is showing and demonstrating power. And then in Corinthians, he tells us why it's so important. He says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words. Now, a lot of our Christianity has devolved to trying in the intellect to actually preach the message to people and convince them. And we've missed it. The word is spirit and it is life, and it is attested to by the power of God. And he says, why is it important? He says, I didn't do it in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that, and this is why, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The reality of God manifested is what we believe. We're not seeing some smart fella who convinces us for all the good reasons why I should believe. No, we're actually seeing the true God behind these words and we believe in his power. Now, he says the same thing again later in Corinthians. He talks with Thessalonians. I'm out of time, so we're not going to go through that again. I want to share a brief story, though. Uh, One of the sisters who came down uh, during this light-up festival uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, I followed her on Facebook afterwards to see where she was getting up to. Uh, She'd gone up to Amsterdam uh, for a conference up there and she's been on the streets doing very similarly to what she's been doing down here. She tells a testimony, literally just, t- I read it Friday, I think, two days ago. Um, she's been out on the street and she's seen a man in a wheelchair and she's felt compelled to go up to him. So she's gone up to this man in a wheelchair and she shared the gospel with him. And as she's finished sharing the gospel with him and he was listening, uh, she said, do you mind if I pray for you? Um, 
and he, he allowed her, so she prayed for him. And immediately he was saying, I feel the legs are a bit stronger. And she said, well, try lifting your legs. And he could lift his legs up, like, off, off the chair. And so this is remarkable. So he stood up. And he was there. So I've got no pain. He's standing up there. So what to do next? We said, I'm, I want to follow you wherever you go. <laughs> she said, well, I'm actually on my way to prayer meetings. So she walks around to the local church, where she's going at the time, brings him into the prayer meeting, and he meets a n- number of believers there, and he commits to fellowship with them. I'll just use that as an example of someone I've met in the flesh not two weeks ago talking of the same kind of works. All right? And this is where the power of God is at. When his power is shown in works, his gospel is made manifest and people can believe it, not just because it's smart, but because it's real and because it's the power of God unto salvation. I just want to wrap up with a final thought around this, which is that as we witness the gospel, as we have faith to believe, there can be a sense by which the power of God can cause a fault in the mind and that we would actually start to attach a pride to it. And I just wanted to urge as we seek these things that we're not seeking them because we want to be super spiritual people. Oh, look at me. God did a miracle through me. It's quite the contrary. Jesus, when he did healing so often, when a number of times it was mentioned that he did it out of compassion for the people, sheer love for the people. And so if we're going to see God's work in power, the motive is not glory to ourselves. It's glory to God, but it's even more than that. It is his same love manifest to broken people. He said, Jesus moved with compassion on a man, stretched out his hand and touched him. He said to be, be well. He saw a multitude hungry, following him out there, and he had compassion on them. It is for the sheer love of people. And it's this same love that needs to galvanise us in every action we do. Whether we are praying for miracles on their behalf, whether we are preaching the gospel, it's because we love them, we don't want them to go to hell. I don't want to preach to them just so I've got a cute testimony for church on Sunday to make me look good. God hates that. No, he wants us to love people with a real love, love that overcomes a fear. If you've ever been in that position where you just can't share the word of God because you're intimidated, get God's love in you. Perfect love casts out that stuff. We want his love to be compelling us through everything we do and every work we want to do and everything we pursue on behalf of people, love them. There are broken people, there are sick people, there are oppressed people who need deliverance from the devil and we need to love them enough to get off our backside, to believe what the word says and to do it. We're out of time. I did have a story but I think we'll leave that there. Let's just pray together, shall we, for a bit and see, uh, see what the Lord will do. Father, I pray that you would overtake us with your love. Lord, I pray that we would feel what you feel, Lord, even for this very city of Hobart in which we live, Lord. That we will not be content to stand by as people walk into hell. And we'll not be content to live our Christian lives in our homes, Father. But, Father, we would hunger and desire and thirst for more of you, Father, for more of your power, Father. And I pray, Lord, even as we would start to abide in you, Lord, that you would grow our faith to believe these very heady promises in your word, Father, because I believe they are true, Lord. I pray that you would raise up in faith in our midst, Lord, to believe what you say and to do what you do. Father, we pray your spirit will be upon us, Father. 
Lord, I pray, Lord, that every resistance, Lord, has been in our hearts, even against the things of you, Lord. If we've been like those people who rejected what Jesus did and tried their best to explain away his miracles, Father, that we would be those who hunger and thirst after the righteousness of the kingdom and all that is on offer there, Father. Let your works and your mighty power be made manifest in our midst, Father. I pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.